before I get going that, that I'm humbled that you would allow me to come into your pulpit. Every Sunday I go to Broadmoor Baptist Church in Shreveport right now. I've been there, grew up there, and a lot of times during the week I don't have time to listen to a, like all the all these different pastors every week. But if I listen to somebody else during the week, almost always it's Pastor Dole. So I, I flip on his sermon because I respect him. He's a man of God. He's driven by the Spirit of God. And, and I have full confidence in him. And so it is, it's truly humbling that you would allow me to come and speak from your pulpit today. However, for those of you in attendance and, and today and listening online, I do have some good news for you. I, I have some really good news. I may not have the same training as Pastor Adams. I may not know the scripture quite as well as Pastor Adams. And I may not look quite as good as he does. Okay? But... I, I know this. Here's the good news. The same Holy Spirit that lives in Pastor Doyle lives in me. Okay? And I got something that's even better than that. It says the same, the same power that rose Christ from the grave is inside of me. And so what I'm praying this morning is that, that God, is, that with all my strengths and all my inadequacies, that God is going to move me out of the way. And he's going to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And, and my prayer today is that we will not leave this place the way that we came in. My prayer today is for change. I am praying for change. Hallelujah. Are you with me? I want to see something different. I want to see us change. And so that's my prayer today is we are praying for change. As I was thinking about what I was going to preach um, Today, I pastor asked me a few months back and um, actually was, you know, I began to go through in my mind what, what God would have me to preach. And what he often does and, and when I do preach and get the opportunity to speak is he takes me right where I am, what he's trying to teach me. Okay, and so over the last six months, I've been going through a very um, detailed study of the book of Acts. And so I hadn't made it, I, I'm, I'm about halfway through over the last six months, and I've been studying that book, and, and so God brought me back to exactly where I was, okay, what I was studying, and so if I, when I preach to you today, I don't preach as a man that has it all together. I don't go to a church that has it all together. I come to you as a sinner that's saved by grace, that's filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm asking God to speak through me and to speak to you what He's been teaching me. And so I hope that He does that today. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to be reading... Um, this passage, I know y'all hear this passage quite a bit because I've heard Pastor reference it in several of the sermons I've listened to online. I'm going to go ahead, it's a pretty long passage, and I'm going to go ahead and read the bulk of the passage now, and then we'll, we'll work uh, through this uh, message together. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. And at about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to each to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Eat, kill, and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I sent them to you. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, then Centurion. Skipping down, the next day Peter stared out with started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and all his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reference. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit with him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising my objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answers and tells him the dream that he had seen. And then in verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling them the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed the Holy Spirit in power, and now he went around doing and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him shall receive the forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on him and all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with people were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit have been poured out upon the Gentiles. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you this morning for your holy word. God, we thank you, God, that that you came to show us a better way, Father. You came to show us a better way. And Lord, I'm asking for change in this place today, Father. I'm asking for change in my own heart. I'm asking for change in the people of EBC's heart. I'm asking for change in the hearts of people of Broadmoor Baptist Church. I'm asking for change in the city. Father, we can't change without you. God, we need your church to be a beacon of light during this time. God, we are asking now, Lord, that you would speak through your word, Lord, that you would speak through me, God, and that, God, you would bring about change. God, that we would not leave this place the way that we came in. For your glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, the bulk majority of my family, unfortunately, had COVID in October of this year. So my, I think we don't know exactly where it came from. It didn't come from my office, but I think my, my two oldest children had it first and then, then it spread to me and, and the bulk of us ended up getting it. And so because of COVID, we had canceled like three or four different vacations over the past year. And so we decided, hey, we've got antibodies now. And so we have some protection. So we were going to go and kind of do an isolated trip on the beach and just try to relax. Uh, my work has been crazy and, and with all the influx of patients and I just needed to, to get away. And so we decided to go out to the East Coast. Now, I have never traveled to the East Coast before, so this was a, a first for me. Um, we we normally do the beach in Florida if we do that, but this time we decided to go out to the East Coast. And so we um, on the first two days that we were there, we decided to visit Savannah, Georgia. And Savannah is all kinds of history is present in Savannah, Georgia. And so they have all kinds of museums, art museums, and all these different things. And, and on, the, on the first day that we were there, we went and visited one of the museums, which was called the Owens Thomas House and Slave Quarters. The Owens Thomas House and Slaves Quarters. It's one, it's one of the oldest houses that remains intact. And, and so they're able to preserve a lot of the history that took place in that house. And, and so, the, you know, I, I, if you walk in there, you walk into this, there, there's these two houses. There's a little house and there's a big house. And, and you walk in and, and over on the right, when you walk into the museum, there's the slave quarters. And over on the left is the big mansion. And as you walk through, you would see that in the slave quarters, the conditions were not very nice. There were no beds. There, there was just a, a mat on the ground. There was no bathroom. There was no, there was no kitchen. There, there, was no, um, there, there was no plumbing. There was, there was nothing. There was nothing on the walls. It was just a, few, a bunch of little mats on the floor of this room. And then you step out of that house and you walk over through this beautiful courtyard and now you land into the, into the owner's house, this mansion. And there in this mansion, there's, there's this humongous pictures and artwork. There's beds. There's the first plumbing system. One of the first, very first plumbing systems in America is found in this house. And there's this huge dichotomy between the first house and the second. And I remember pastor had already asked me to come and preach. And I was laying in bed that night 
in our hotel room in Savannah. And I don't sleep very well in hotels most of the time anyway, but I, I'm laying there and I just began to, to, I just began to feel a lot of hurt and pain as I thought through what I had experienced and what I had walked through that day. Because here we are, here we are almost 200 years later, almost 200 years later from when this house was built and the same disparities that existed on that plantation still exist today. You see, see the same division that took place that existed there, this isolation from these two sides was still present today. Now, it's not as overt as it was back then. It's not, it, it, it's not as um, illegal as it was back then. But, but many of the same disparities still exist. And here's what broke my heart even more as I laid there and pondered that. The church of Jesus Christ is no different. The church of Jesus Christ is no different. In fact, we may be worse. In fact, we may be worse. Martin Luther King once famously said this, the most segregated day in our country is on a Sunday. Oh man, what, what an indictment on the church of Jesus Christ. What an indictment on what we preach from our pulpits. That the most segregated day in the week is the one. You know what? We don't see this segregation in the local mosque. I encourage you to go down there and visit. We don't see the segregation in the mosque. We don't see the segregation at our football games or when we're cheering for LSU or when we're cheering for our Cowboys or our Saints. We don't see it there. But we see it on broad display every Sunday in the house of the Lord. Friends, say it. We turn to somebody here and say, something needs to change. Something needs to change. And that's my first point for you today. Our first point before we dig into anything else is this. Something needs to change. Here in this story that I just read to you, a long story, um, we see a moment in biblical history where the Holy Spirit says to His church, something needs to change. We come to this moment where through Peter and through Cornelius, the Holy Spirit says something needs to change. Change. Oh, I hate that word. You can ask my wife. I hate the word change. Now, some people embrace change. They like change. I do not like change. I, I... I just, I like things to stay the, the way they are. And, you know, about two years ago, um, my, my mom and dad actually bought me a, a truck, um, you know, sometime right now, I got out of um, medical school. And, and so I had this truck for 10 plus years. It had tons of miles on it. My wife, it was starting to have some problems with it. And my wife kept saying, get rid of the truck, get rid of the truck. And, and I didn't get rid of the truck. Why? Because I didn't want to change. You see the truck, it would drive me to and from work every day. That's what I needed to do. I had all of my junk stored in the trunk back there, so I didn't want to go clean that out. Um, I just didn't want to change. But then finally, um, after, after her pushing long enough, I finally decided it was time to go change. And I got a new ride, 
and the new ride has, it's got Apple CarPlay. It's got, uh, it's got a backup camera. It's got all these things. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Why didn't I do this like three or four years ago? Um, but it was the fear of change that kept me from accepting the blessing sooner. Okay. Now I don't want to sit up here and pretend to you that all change is easy because it's absolutely not. Okay. All change is not, Oh, let me go buy me a new car. That is not what change is all about. Um, you know, I I know sometimes change involves losing power. Okay. If we want to change the way things are, I got to be willing to lay down my status or my power. Sometimes if I want to change, I may have to lose some friends that don't like what I'm doing. Sometimes if I'm going to change, I may upset some family members. But let me tell you something. God-ordained, spirit-led change is always worth the risk. Okay? And, and I think, think about it. From beginning to end of the Christianity, it is all about change. Everything in Christianity is about change. When I was lost and Christ opened my eyes, I had to repent or change my way of life. When Christ saved me, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I have been changed. Um, It says in the Bible that every day we are being changed and made into the image of Christ. That's what we call sanctification. Change, change, change. And here in the book, the 10th book of Acts, we see God-ordained, spirit-led change about to take place in the church. So so I want to look at the main characters here. Besides the triune God, who's ultimately the driving force in this story today, there's two main earthly characters that we see. There's Peter and Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, it says that Cornelius was a God-fearer. A God-fearer. Well, what what does that mean? This term, God-fearer, was applied to Jews who would believe in the monotheistic God. They believed in the one God. And they believed in the Ten Commandments, but they didn't want to practice all the other um, traditions and circumcision and dietary laws and all the other things the Jews had. So we could say this about Cornelius. He was religious, but he was not born again. He was religious, but he was not born again. And what we also know about him is he was the captain of the occupying army at Caesarea. He was over about a hundred men and his salary would be about five times that of the average soldier. So what does this tell us about him? He was pretty well to do and he was powerful. He had, he was an influencer. He had the ability to influence, influence people. And, And one more little tidbit of information I want to give you is that the Jews hated Caesarea. This is one of the, you know, they, they didn't like the Gentiles at all. But they really didn't like the people in Caesarea. They called, in fact, they, they, they had a name for them. They were called the Daughters of Edom because they hated the people of Caesarea. But here in this story, God gives him a vision that something needs to change. Now, we all know Peter. Any of us that grew up in the church, we all know Peter. Okay, so Peter was born again, but he was blind due to his racism and prejudice and upbringing. So Peter is born again, filled with the Spirit of God, but still blinded 
from the truth because of the way he was raised and the, and the things that he had been taught. And you see, God puts him, he gives Cornelius a vision. I mean, and he puts Peter in a trance. Okay, and, and he has to show Peter three times in this trance what he's trying to tell him. I, I want you to see, as I was studying this to prepare, there's many similarities here between Peter and Jonah in the Old Testament. We all know the story of Jonah. And, and there's a lot of similarities here because you see, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Because at the time, the people of Israel hated the people, the corrupt people of Nineveh. Well, here in this story, the new Nineveh, is Caesarea. And, and God calls Peter to go there. And so both of these men were called to go and preach the gospel to their enemies. If you look up Peter's actual name, Peter's actual name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. You see, Peter, th- th- there's a lot of similarities here. It took what? How many days for Jonah? Three days in the well for Jonah. It took Three visions for Peter to get the message. Okay, so we see some similarities here. And I don't know about you, but every time I I read about Peter, I always pause and say, what is it with this guy? I mean, he was so hard-headed. And, and you know, the rooster had to crow three times for him to realize that he he was denouncing Christ. He had to get three visions of the same thing over and over again to, to see, to see what God was trying to tell him. And I, I would ask this question. Are you and I really all that different? Are you and I all that different? I, I, I would venture to ask that there's some things in our life and in our churches that God has been trying to speak to us for quite some time. And we've heard the rooster crowing, crowing so many times we don't even hear it anymore. You see, he was trying to wake Peter up because something needs to change. So if we, if we look through the, the, the passage there and look through the bulk of the first 20 plus verses, here's the story in a nutshell. So Cornelius is this powerful Gentile who is, a, who is religious but not born again. Okay, And then there's Peter who is born again but he's blinded by his prejudices. And God gives him, puts him in a trance and get, lets him see this thing happen three times. And so what does he see? He sees a sheet being lowered down from heaven. It, presumably the, the four corners of the sheet represent the four corners of the earth. The whole earth. And on that sheet, Peter sees all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles. And then in that vision, he's told, take and eat. Take and eat. Now keep in mind that Peter, he lived according to all the Jewish laws, all the Jewish customs. And he would have been disgusted at the thought of eating all kinds of meat. He would have been disgusted. And, 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 and so... Um, can you just just picture for a minute? I was thinking about this. I try to picture things as I'm reading them. So, it, it, do any of y'all have like a vegetarian friend that just doesn't doesn't eat any meat at all? I, I, we've got a couple of them. I think they're crazy. But anyway, just imagine if you took a big ribeye cooked medium and you threw it down in front of them when they came over to eat at your house. I mean, their first thought is going to be just total disgust. 
you know, when they see that. Well, that is how Peter is because dietary law was a major part of Jewish national and cultural identity. God gave them these laws to set them apart from other people. And so as any good Jew would do, Peter responds, surely not. Surely not. That's not the change I'm looking for. Surely not, Lord. That's not what I want. But God responds and tells Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And and you know, he was not just telling Peter that he could be like my friend Dan and he could be an exotic game hunter and he could go all over the world and hunt animals and eat whatever he wanted to eat. That's not what he was saying. We know as we work through the story, this Lord was saying this, the gospel, my death on the cross, my resurrection, it's for all people. It's not just for you, Peter. It's not just for your people. It's for all people. I died for everyone. And, and, and it's in his racist and prejudiced mind, Peter, who loved Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus, but in that, in that ingrained racism that he had in his heart, he, he just, he had to be disgusted. You see, the Spirit is saying to both of these men, and the Spirit is going to say to us today that something needs to change. Say it with me again. Something needs to change. The gospel is for everyone, Peter. The gospel is for everyone. Now go and make disciples of all people. Friends, we live, we live in a world of urgent spiritual and physical need. Urgent spiritual and physical need. Right now, over 2 billion people of the world's 8 billion population have never heard of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Right now, today, in this world, 50% of the world's population lives on $2.50 per day. One of three children do not have adequate shelter. One in five children do not have adequate water. One in seven children do not have adequate health care. All we have to do is flip on the TV or pull up the headlines from 2020. And what what do we see? Global pandemic rocks the world, brings the economies to a standstill. Too many hurricanes to count. Many of those affecting us right here in the state of Louisiana. The deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and the list goes on and on and on. Highlight the racial injustice that is still so prevalent in our society today. We see continued tension with Iran and North Korea. We see a heated presidential campaign that further divides America, especially those within the church of Jesus Christ. We we see a little bit closer to home that homicides are up 112% in Shreveport. I read an article just last week um, or a couple weeks ago when I was preparing this from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University that found this about our churches. 50% of self-professing Christians believe they are saved because of their good works and not because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Although 65% of Americans believe, profess to be Christians, only 40% will actually think they'll actually go to heaven one day. And and another study, only 24% of American Christians believe that this is the actual word of God. We live in a time of urgent spiritual and physical need. 
And the list goes on of bad stats on the current church and bad and bad things that I'm sure each of you has experienced over the course of this year. We could all get up here and share our stories of heartache and hurt and lost loved ones this year. And I didn't have this in my notes because this wasn't this hadn't happened yet. And then I turn on the news on Wednesday night. Turn on the news on Wednesday night. Oh, so we thought that 2020, 2020 was the problem. No, no. 2021 is here and probably showing up 2020 real quick, okay? And, and I turn on that TV and, and I watch that. And, and I don't know that, I, I mean, it's one of the worst things that I've ever watched as I've grown up. I mean, I'm 44 and I mean, it's one of the ones I think about 9-11. I think about people storming the Capitol. And, I, and as I thought there, I sat there and thought about that. I, I was just like, why would this happen? Because you see, I would venture to guess. Now I'm making some assumptions here. I would venture to guess that if we went and polled those people that ran into the Capitol and did what they did, 90 plus percent would, would mark the box that they are an evangelical Christian. Okay. Here's what troubles me, friends. Here's what troubles me. This is what's happened over the last four years. A lot of within my church, okay? And I, I'm referring to the white church here, but I, I can, when we replace, when we give the little king a capital K or the little kingdom a capital K, we've got our priorities all messed up. There's one king and he's on his throne in heaven. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. It's none of those political figures that we see on the news. None of those will save us. None of those will set us free. And when we begin to give our authority to those things, you see what happened on Wednesday night. Something needs to change. Something needs to change in this world. Something needs to change in our churches. And most of all, something needs to change in me and you. But something needs to change. You see, in these passages, God used a vision and a trance to notify these men that they needed to change. Perhaps, perhaps may I suggest to you that over the last six to nine months of COVID, racial unrest, storming of the Capitol, may I suggest to you that God is using these things to wake up his church and say something needs to change. We cannot continue the way that we are. My second point to you today is this. As we look at this passage, the Spirit empowers us to change. We don't change on our own. The Spirit empowers us to change. This is true in our personal lives. This is true in our churches. This is true in our families. This is true in every part of life. The Spirit empowers us to change. It's not our might or our determination that will change things. It's not our busyness in the church. I'm guilty of that. It's not how busy or how many things I do that will change. It is the spirit of the living God working in and through his people that will bring change. Now, if I tell my children, if I tell Lily, who's here with me today, and I say, Lily, Every day for the rest of your life, until you get out of my house, until you hit 18, you have to read the Bible. You cannot leave this house until you read the Bible. Okay? I can do that. I can do that to her. But guess what? 
I can't give her a love and a hunger for God's word. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I can't tell her, I can't give her hope and joy when she turns on the TV and sees things going on on Wednesday. Only the Holy Spirit can give her peace in the midst of that storm and the other storms that the, that the world will bring. We see this same truth in the story today. These men, these men could have come from Cornelius to Peter on any other day. On any other day. And Peter would have been disgusted about the possibility to go and speak with them. He would have said, no, Jewish law forbids me to go and do that. There's no way I'm going with you. There's no way I would do that. I'm not going to Caesarea. I hate that place. But not this day. Peter could have gone to Cornelius on his own power. And he could have gone in there to Cornelius and said, we have a savior for Israel. You want him to? And and Cornelius would have laughed at him and said, get out of here. I, I I don't want what you have, not the way you treat me. Well, you see, it's all over the book of Acts chapter 10. The spirit spoke, the spirit led, the spirit moved, the spirit fell. And when this happens, there's power and there's change. Without the Holy Ghost, none of this takes place. None of this takes place. So about two months ago, um, I was actually heading to a men's night at Dan's house. Um, Pastor Doyle was there. We were having for our Bible study group. We decided to go um, and have a men's night and a women's night. And so I was running home from work. I was getting home late. We were supposed to be at Dan's house at a certain time. My daughter was at horseback lessons. And so my wife had to leave at the same time as I did. And as soon as I pulled into my slot in the driveway, the first thing I see looking over at my wife's car is that her driver's side rear tire was flat. I was like, oh man, I'm already late. I'm not going to make it there in time. And so I, I, I jumped out of the car, went inside, changed out of my scrubs, changed into some clothes real quick. And it was almost, it was, it was about to be dark. And, and, and so I was determined that I was going to change the tire, get the tire back on, and that both of us would arrive where we needed to on time. So I pulled the tire off and sure enough, they've been putting on a bunch of new roofs out here. So there was a nail in the tire. I pulled the nail out. I patched the tire and blew the tire back up, threw it back on there. And we both got to where we were supposed to go on time. Didn't think much of it. Okay. I was like, thank you, God. Got there, got out of there. Well, you see, the next day was the day that the hurricane, or the day, or it was either the next day or the following day, was the day that the hurricane was moving through Shreveport. And I was driving my wife's car um, to go do something that afternoon. I looked down and she didn't have any gas in the car. So I said, well, I'll go fill it up for her. Well, I didn't really have an option. I might not have done it for her on this day because it was really windy. It was wet. The wind was blowing sideways. And, and, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go fill it up for her. So I pulled in to the gas station and... Uh, Normally, I would stand out there and I put the gas in. I just stand out there and maybe look on my phone or something like that. And this particular day, I didn't because of the rain and the wind. So I stuck the gas can in there, ran back in my car, shut the door as quick as I could. And I'm sitting in there and, and, and I'm on my phone checking some emails. And I'm sitting and I'm sitting. And I finally, I look over at the, at the gas pump. It says 23 gallons. Well, here's the problem. My car only holds 
21 gallons. So I jumped out of the car, and when I jumped out of the car, I see gasoline just pouring all over the ground of the concrete at the gas station. And you say, how could this happen? How could this happen? Well, you see, when I was changing her tire the the day or two before, I put the jack about four inches too far back to the midline of the car. And not only did I jack up the car, I ripped the fuel line. So on this particular day, I put 23 gallons of gas on the concrete at the gas station. Had no clue because nobody else was, everybody else was smart enough not to pump gas this day because it was raining so hard. But if there is no, if there is no, if we're not connected from the fuel where you put the fuel in to the gas tank, you don't have any fuel in the tank. And if you don't have any fuel in the tank, the car does not run. Well, many of us in the church today have tanks that have become disconnected from the fuel source. You see, the Holy Ghost is the, is what, who empowers us and transforms us and gives us the strength to do the work of God. We, we may serve as a deacon, a greeter, we may do all kinds of things, but if we're not filled with God's Holy Ghost, if we're not filled with the power then we're disconnected from the power supply and we have no power to see the change that we see take place here. Just like my car, when I turned it back on after I got over the shock and was hoping a spark didn't fly when I did that, when I turned it back on, guess what? It was still on empty. Now I'd done the motions. I had gone to church, but I was just going through the motions because there was no fuel getting into the tank. And when we try to do things in our own power, when we try to do things in our own power, we don't see change. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose that prevails. It says it like this, Psalms 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen build and watch in vain. Early we rise and and we go to sleep late, but we do it all in vain if we're not filled with the spirit of the living God. Friends, something needs to change. And if we want to see change, we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If we want to be changed, we have to be believers that wake up every day and are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. My third and final, or third point today, I'm not going to let you off that quick. My third point today is uh, spirit-driven change has eternal impact. Spirit-driven change has eternal impact. Here we see the Holy Spirit come in and, and he empowers, he, he opens up Peter's eyes to his racism. He removes the scales from Cornelius' eyes to bring about supernatural change. In this story, we see salvation. We see the walls of racism torn down in the church. We see speaking in tongues. We see God at work. Peter delivers. For those of y'all, I don't know how comfortable you are sharing your faith. Um, We all need to be comfortable with it. But this story here, and this is in the heart of my message, should give us all hope. He didn't deliver some great message. It wasn't, he wasn't the next hip, you know, he wasn't the hippest speaker ever. He simply got up there and he says, I was a witness 
of what Jesus did while he was on this earth. I saw him die on the cross and I walked with him after he rose again. And I'm telling you, if you put your faith in him, you will have eternal life. You see, we don't have to have a great message. Our message is this, that 34 years ago, Christ took Scott Patton and he changed him forever. And you can be changed too if you put your faith in him. And here in verse 44, in this passage today, we see it again. We see the power source again. It says right there before we get to, to, the, to the results or the fruit of the ministry, it says, Peter was filled with the Spirit. And then it says, and the Holy Spirit fell on him and all who heard him speak. And what happens next? These Gentiles from Caesarea, they're saved. Hallelujah. These Gentiles are saved. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They're sealed for eternity. These men that Peter would have despised and hated. And now they're not just fellow Christians or disciples. They are now his brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what happens. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to implement change. Now my final point to you today is this. The Spirit is calling the church to change. Okay? The Spirit is calling the church to change. Or as I wrote it originally, the Spirit is calling for His church to unify. Now, my first few points to you today, we're looking at the 10,000 foot view of God. So we're looking down from way up above and we're looking at this story and we learn these things about who God is. And we learn about the power of the spirit and we learn about these things from a 10,000 foot view in this chapter. But now I want to speak directly to the topic at hand. So, yes, this story is all about the gospel going to the Gentiles. And yes, this story is all about the power of the Holy Spirit. But at its very core, this is a story of racism in the church. And God tearing down the wall so that all men might experience the joy of knowing Him. Okay? So that is what this story is about. And so going back, the Jews, even those who had become born again and began to follow Christ... They felt they were God's chosen people and that they were better than the Gentiles and that that somehow the sacrifice of Jesus was just for them. So I want to do a little history lesson as we work through this topic on the church. If we were to flip back and look at the Tower of Babel back in Genesis, what happens? You see, in the Tower of Babel, we see because of man's evil heart, They were trying to be like God. So what does God do? He confuses their language and he sends them out to all parts of the world. Okay. And then, so we live in this world from that time in Genesis until we get to the book of Acts where men are separated. The languages are different. And then we see here in in Acts chapter two, verse one through seven, the day of Pentecost And I'm going to read this to you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd of people came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these people that are speaking Galileans? So here God sends. So we've confused the language. And then here in in Acts chapter 2, we see what some people would refer to as the reversal of Babel. The reversal of Babel. The Holy Spirit falls on his people. And, and when this happens, these Galilean believers begin to speak and praise God in tongues of men of all countries. And so these people that are walking by or these crowds that are gathered, they begin to hear the gospel. They begin to hear Jesus worshiped in their own language. And they were astonished. And, 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 and you have to understand that the Galilean disciples... They weren't known as the smartest bunch, okay? They were not, the Galilean disciples were not highly educated. They, 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 weren't, they weren't the smartest group, but all of a sudden, the Galileans were speaking Chinese and this language and this language and all these different languages. And they began to hear the gospel. And, and, and in that moment, in that moment, for the first time in years, there was unity and diversity. As God was being worshipped by many ethnicities at one time. My friends, the heart of God is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. And and if we continue on through the book of Acts... So, so there we go, the reversal of Babel. And then we move to chapter 10 where we were today. And God tells us there in chapter 10, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the Gentiles. It's for everyone. And then we move to Acts chapter 15. We see more walls in the church are torn down because there in Acts 15, the yoke of circumcision and dietary laws, all of a sudden they have this big discussion and they realize that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by these things that we do. And so So more walls are torn down. And then we get over to Galatians chapter 2. And there in Galatians chapter 2, Paul comes to town and Paul calls out Peter for his hypocrisy. You see, Peter was not preaching the wrong message. He was not preaching the wrong message, but he was living the wrong message. So so Peter was preaching the right things, but when 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 the Jews, the Hebrew Christians would come in town... And he was over there hanging out with his Gentile friends. He felt the pressure. And so he would walk away from the Gentiles and go and hang out with his Hebrew Christian friends. You see, he was saying all the right things. He was preaching from his pulpit. He was saying this, we're all equal. All lives matter. All lives matter. We are all created in the image of God. But he was not living in a way that said the Gentile believers mattered like the others did. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? We have to have a gospel. The way that we live has to align with what we preach. And what we preach says we are all equal. And we are created 
in the image of God. And we have to live that out. And the list goes on and on throughout as we walk through all these passages that address this topic throughout the Bible. And then we get to Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It says this, After I looked, and there before me stood a great multitude of people that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here we see what started in Pentecost. It was completed in heaven. As the people of God of all colors and ethnicities worship together in unity before the throne of God. You see, my friends, this is the picture of heaven. What we just read is the picture of heaven. This is the picture of the true church of Jesus Christ. It is not white. It is not black. It is a diverse body of believers that do what? That worshiped God together. They didn't go serve once a year together. It was a diverse group of people that God brought together to worship Him together as the one true God. But here's the problem. Here is the problem. Every day, every Sunday, every Wednesday, in our white churches, in our black churches, we pray this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we remain separated. We remain separated. Do we really want to experience God's kingdom on earth? Do we really? Do you really want to experience God's kingdom on earth? God's kingdom is a diverse body that worships together as one. I know some of you are thinking, some of you are probably thinking, just like Peter that day, this is not the change I was looking for. Not the change. Surely not. Surely not, God. This is not the change that I'm looking for. And let's be real honest. I'm going to talk to you as honestly as I can. I'm going to talk to you. Some of you have the right, many of you have the right to feel that way. Many of you have the right to feel that way. Jamar Tisby in his book, The Color of Compromise, he wrote, there would be no black church if there wasn't racism in the white church. And let me tell you this, there there was racism in the white church. There is racism in the white church. But that's not God's church. That's not how he designed it to be. But the church of Jesus Christ that's not white or black, we are not yellow or green, we're not Hispanic or Asian, we are sinners of all colors who have been brought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And He has called us to work together, to worship together, to live together for the glory of God. Friends, my heart breaks for what my ancestors did particularly within the church. But my heart breaks for everything in the past. My heart breaks for the injustices that exist today. I see them. I I see them. That's why I I reached out to Pastor Adam six months ago. I said, what can I do? I can't just sit here and look at this anymore. What do I do? My My heart breaks 
for those things. And I ask you, if you're struggling, some of you are probably fine with it, but some of you, I ask you to forgive me. For, not, not me. You know, maybe I wasn't the one. Some of my white brothers say, well, I didn't do that. But yeah, I've turned a blind eye to it for a long time. So I'm asking you to forgive me, to forgive the white church. We're here saying we want to be together. This may not be the change you want. It may not be the the change that some of my my white church members want. But it is the heart of God. And this is the way that we will spend eternity. We will not spend eternity separated. And I can tell you without any hesitation in my heart, after the last five months of our multi-ethnic study, I can tell you this. We are better together. We are better together as the body of Christ. And so change will not be easy. It will, it's not going to be buying a new car. Some of us are going to have to lay down some of our power and some lay down some of our desires and all that stuff. But oh, the blessings that will come if we are willing to follow after the heart of God. We now work with other races. We cheer with other races. But when we worship, we segregate. This is not a reflection of the church. This is not a reflection of the heart of who God is. This is not a reflection of the true church of Jesus Christ. And I say to you again, something needs to change. In the midst of so much hurt and pain in our world, the church can stand in this moment as a credible witness to our culture if we stand side by side in unity during these times. When a white pastor and a black pastor who love each other deeply, when they stand side by side and they, they, when they're together, they're able to give a much more clear and credible witness to the world than one of them standing by themselves. You see, when a white pastor and black pastor stand up to address George Floyd or Ahmaud Aubrey or any, or God forbid, whatever is next, When they stand side by side, they stand as a credible witness of what Jesus Christ has done in their hearts. When a white pastor and a black pastor, they can take a look at the critical race theory. And and, and I know this makes some of my white people in in the church want to hide under a rock, okay? But listen, we can look at the... Dole and I, and we've done this, we can look at critical race theory and we can say some of these things are true and they're highlighting things that we need to change. And then we can also step back as Dole and I together and say, but also some of these things are not biblical and do not honor God. And we don't have to just hide under a rock and act like it doesn't exist. So something needs to change. John thirteen thirty four and 35 says this, a new command I give you, you must love one another. As I have loved you, you also must love one another. And then it goes on to say this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Second Corinthians 520 says this, we are the ambassadors of Christ as if God was making his appeal to the world through us. God is making his appeal to the world through us. Friends, the world is watching us. How will we respond? I want to close today with the final story. Most of y'all are are familiar with, or at least know a little bit about the Indian philosopher by the name of Mahatma Gandhi. 
Gandhi wrote famously in his autobiography, um, he was a student in his early days, in his younger years, he was a student in Europe. And while he was in Europe, he was studying and one of his classmates gave him a copy of the Bible. And Gandhi, who's a deep thinker and philosopher, he began to read the Gospels of the New Testament. And as he worked through the Gospels, he began to see something that he thought may provide a real solution to the caste system that he had grown up in in India. And so one day, after reading for months and months and God's Spirit working on him, he decided to get up and to walk into a church in Europe. And Gandhi walked into the doors of this church. His intention was to try to catch the pastor afterwards and say, explain these truths to me. Maybe he would have asked, what must I do to be saved? But when he walked in the church, two of the ushers said, sir, they didn't give him a seat. They said, sir, I think you need to go to another church and worship where there's more people just like you. And Gandhi wrote these words in his autobiography. He said, if Christians have a caste system also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Let me say that again. If Christians have a caste system also, I might as well remain a Hindu. I ask you today, when people walk into our churches, my church, do they see a caste system on display that our Savior came to destroy? Do they see something that doesn't reflect the true church of Jesus Christ, the heart of the gospel, that that God can take people that were once enemies and reconcile them to themselves for the glory of God? Do they see that? Well, I hope we all agree today. Something needs to change in this world. Something needs to change in our segregated churches. Something needs to change in you and me. The only hope we have for true change is when believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and allows the Holy Spirit to direct them. Spirit-filled believers will not continue to segregate, but will unify to be a credible witness to the world that we live in. And as we said earlier, spirit-filled change will have eternal impacts on our world. When Ed Orgeron was hired on as the football coach for the LSU Tigers... He was in a press conference that day and a reporter asked him about the rivalry with Alabama. And Ed Orgeron ushered these simple words. And I can't can't do his, uh, his, his Cajun accent, but he said these words, we coming, we coming. That's all he said when he talked about Alabama, we coming. And what he meant, he said, he meant by that is we're gonna change our program. We're gonna get better and we're gonna beat. Alabama. My friends, guess what? Change coming. Change is coming. I titled my message today. I titled it today. Something needs to change, but in God's eyes, something's going to change. Something is going to change because we will not remain separated in eternity. It's time that we get a little bit more heaven on earth. Something is going to change.